I'm here with Jeannie Cochran, who is the film commissioner, is that your title? Yes, the director of the Sarasota County Film and Entertainment Office, short form title, film commissioner. Just a big long name that I didn't pick. <laughs> I interview people who make their living or their life with an art, and you have more than one art. It's true. In your arsenal, <laughs> so <true>. to speak. <laughs> so let's just start with the film art. Sure. A film and entertainment. Film and entertainment. Why don't you just tell me what that means? Well, it really is a misnomer. Nowadays, you know, 25 years ago, it used to be that a film commission dealt with things that were shot on film. And then over the last 25 years, what's happened, of course, is all forms of multimedia and omnimedia, television, digital, streaming, online, podcasts, radio, print, all of that has combined into a multimedia universe, and sometimes called an omnimedia universe. So we serve all of that. We really do less and less with film. Only the high-end shoot on film anymore. Right. Most of them are shooting primarily digital. And we also serve live events, and we serve special events, and so, sorts of things like concerts. It used to be strictly, it's either television or it's film. And now it's all sorts of things. Even on wristwatches, we've, we've helped projects that are shooting content to show on a watch. And we've helped projects that shoot content to put on the screen of a gas pump. The diversity of, of visual arts that are now far above and beyond just film and television. Okay, so I only have one question. Do you have a memory from your childhood that sets you up for this, that yes. makes you interested. Oh, okay, good. I absolutely do. Okay, good. When I was three, yes, I wouldn't think you'd remember this, but I remember it vividly because it imprinted on me so. When I was three years old, my mother dressed me up in a little coonskin cap and a suede jacket with fringe, and she gave me a pop gun, and she put me on the stage at a 50th bicentennial something or other event in South New Jersey and made me sing Davy Crockett. And I got out on stage and I went, Davy, Davy Crockett, <laughs> king of the wild frontier. And the lady in the front row laughed. When you're three and you're trying to be a star on the yes. stage and somebody laughs at you, yes. I went, don't laugh. And I started crying. Oh, my goodness. And my mother comes running out on the stage and she's trying to comfort me. And I'm good. I'm crying and I'm waving my popcorn around and I'm so upset. And she says, come on, come on, I'll take you off stage. And I went, no, I'm singing. And she stepped back, and I did the whole Davy Crockett song, you know, all the way through, the bear and everything else. And the lady in the front was just smiling and, you know, <laughs> muffling her laughter. Muffling her laughter. So that was, my first, uh, that was my first experience in the world of entertainment, and I'll never forget it. And well, I, no kidding. I, um, so you have an entertainment career. I do. So, three. well, what happened after three? <laughs> did you take lessons? Did you? Uh, no, I never took lessons. I, you know, I, I thank God I just seemed to have a natural aptitude for either being a class clown or a cornball, or a, a comedian, or an actress, or a singer, or a dancer, or whatever else so I had to do. So how did you use it? I think between three and eight, I only remember like singing for family and singing for friends. You know, it was always like a train seal, or, 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 you know, <laughs> sing a little song, Jeannie, entertain yeah. the company. <laughs> right. And when I was about eight, she answered an ad in the paper looking for children models for, for a clothier. So we got on the bus, we went to Atlantic City and auditioned, and they just loved me. So for from about the age of 8 until about the age of 12, I would periodically, you know, do runway modeling for kids' clothes in Atlantic City. So I would, I would you know, do these children modeling things, and then I did some catalog work. I think I did some for Sears when I was little. Then I forgot all about it. 
by then I'm, you know, actively involved in school and I'm singing in school plays and I'm acting in school plays and we were and it was a lot of fun. I just really enjoyed it. And in terms of training, back when I was a kid, you know, we had music class and we had music teachers that would divide us up and they would teach us to sing harmony and we would sing songs for the holidays. Mm -hmm. and we would sing Christmas songs, we would sing Hanukkah songs. Uh, so we have you in school. <laughs> Acting, and, singing, dancing. And, exactly. Yeah. Are you thinking that's what I want to do? I did at the time until I was um, probably my, my family moved me down here when I was 14 and went to Catholic school, which was a whole new experience. Yeah. But we did have a drama teacher, and we started doing Shakespeare. And loved it, loved it, loved it. And I thought, I really would like to be a professional actor. And my dad said, oh, no, you're not. You're going to go to school, and you're going to be a teacher or a nurse, or you're going to be a, a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist or something. And uh, I said, okay, sure, right. And I kept going and doing theater, and then I did community theater with Sarasota Players, and I did community theater with Manager. Tea players. Okay, this is all when you're a teenager. Right, this is all when I'm a teenager, into a young adult till I'm about 19 or so, and and got married as a teenager. I got married at 19. I was, by that time, I was going to Manatee Community College. And what did you major in? Broadcast journalism what? and mass communications, because I thought those are the two perfect things. Mass communications kind of covers it all, and then broadcast journalism sets you up to be aligned <laughs> as a, a news person. Okay. So did you put the, I want to be an actor on the back burner. I still was very active with mostly community theater. So now you're you're living here, you're in college studying these these specific skills. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you're still acting. My husband got involved and the two of us would do theater together. And it was it was great fun and it was great training. So you're clearly focused. You're going to learn these disciplines, these skills in school, and you're going to keep doing this. So where did you go after that? When I was about six or seven, my mother would uh, play poker with her brother and their friends. And my uncle had a little typewriter. And I would lay on the floor with his little typewriter, and I would take little pieces of paper, and I would type stories with two fingers. Oh and I started making up stories, because it amused me, and it kept me busy and out of the grown-up's hair. And I would just lay, and I so looked forward to getting my hands on that little typewriter. Right. And I just had this compulsion, this desire to write stories. Wow. So all through school, even when I was in fourth and fifth grade, I was writing short stories for my English class. And I had an English teacher, Mr. Talley, I'll always remember him, and he would read student stories. So he would read my little stories, and a lot of the kids would go, what does that mean? <laughs> Uh, but he loved it, and he kept encouraging me to keep writing. Yeah. Write whatever you want. Write a diary. Write a journal. So in fourth, fifth grade, I was writing little journals and little stories. And then when I got into seventh and eighth grade, I had an English literature teacher who really was the first person that ever got me interested in Shakespeare. And he also would have us write our own little plays and our own little pieces of literature, which yeah. most kids hated. And I, I lived for it. That was my favorite class, English literature. His name was Mr. Byron. Oh, and he very was appropriate. very appropriate. <laughs> and it was Byron with an I. I yeah, he would yeah, always yeah, say yeah, it's B-I-R-O-N. Yeah. Norris Byron. So you didn't think to major in something like uh, journalism or... Well, I thought with broadcast journalism and mass communications, oh, yeah, you right. get the best of both worlds. You can still be in the electronic media. Right. You can still get on camera or on radio or on television or whatever or on the web, but you can also write your own content. Right. So you graduate from college mm -hmm. and you have a degree in... 
broadcast journalism and mass communications. Right. Uh, you know, a double degree. And my husband and I are having a great time doing theater. We decide to have a family. And it sort of puts the brakes on everything about, well, golly, I really need a real paycheck. I really need a <laughs> real job. And I thought, well, you know, I while I was in high school, after school, I worked for an ice cream shop. Mm-hmm. Dipper Dan ice cream. And I would scoop ice cream after school and nights and weekends. And they ended up making me the night manager. So I would balance the books and I would make the bank deposits and I would balance the cash register and I would keep track of everybody's hours. So being the night manager was giving me business experience and managerial skills. Right. And I had a good aptitude for that and I was at it. But then I got tired of being in scooping ice cream and decided I would work part-time instead as a very young trainee legal secretary. Hmm. And I went to work after school and so forth uh, for a law firm. Uh, it was Ezra Regan here in Sarasota and Judge Marvin Silverman and James Say, who was the assistant state's attorney. So they were wonderful, wonderful people to work for. And they were involved in circuit court, Judge Silverman, and state's attorney's office, Jim Say. And then Ezra Regan was doing uh, family law and wills and trusts and so forth. And I really learned from their secretary. And she just taught me everything about how to work in a law office and how to (laughs) make multiple copies of documents you cannot erase. (laughs) You don't erase a legal document. You don't make erasures if you make a mistake. You start over. So I learned quickly how not to make mistakes <laughs> because it's no fun starting over. And it was a, just a great experience to use the, you know, the right side of my brain mm-hmm. as well as the left side of my brain. Then I thought, well, maybe I really want to be a lawyer. I took a paralegal course over at, again, Manatee Community College and thought, well, I could, I could be a lawyer. And maybe I'll be a trial lawyer because then I can perform. Yeah, that's right. That's going to be perfect, right? <laughs> because right. all trial lawyers, and, and with all respect to trial lawyers, <laughs> all lawyers that stand in front of judges and, and clients and juries, they're actors. Or they're not good at it. Or they're not good at it, right? <laughs> right. The best actors are the best trial lawyers. That's right. So I thought, well, this could dovetail. And in the meantime, I'm still doing community theater. And I'm, now I'm doing, in part-time, I had a couple of agents that had seen my work and... Uh, one was Dot Burns in Tampa, and the other was Carol Berg in Tampa. And they started saying, well, let us send you out on auditions for paying work. Mm-hmm. So I'm working, by then I'm working for a law firm uh, as, a, as a legal secretary and taking paralegal courses so I can become a paralegal and then, you know, work your way up from that. And I figured if I like being a paralegal, I'll take the next step and go back to school and do pre-law and whatever. Yeah. So I'm, I'm working through this new adjunct career, uh, still writing, uh, still acting, and the agents were sending me periodically on auditions for commercials and infomercials, and it was fun, and I got to do uh, commercials for Home Shopping Network and some medical products and, and Leo Burnett out of Chicago, and just really great work, and that was fun too. And money. And money. That was actually really mm-hmm. good money. So I'm thinking, well, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm, I'm working. I'm all over the place. I'm all over the place, but I'm making a pretty good wage on commercials. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually making more at that than I am in the lawyer's office. Mm-hmm. And uh, I still love doing theater, but I'm really now more into electronic media by doing commercials. Well, the decision was made for me because someone in that had done commercials with me gave my name to a director that was casting a national film 
for the National Council on Epilepsy. I love things that are cause-related mm -hmm. and that are good for the world. So I get a phone call from this fellow. His name was David Smoot. And David said, uh, someone gave me your name, and I'm casting for um, this film, this short film for the National Council on Epilepsy. And it's a dra drama, dramatic reenactment. Come audition for me. So I said, sure. So I go down, and I audition for him against a couple of other professional actresses. And he chooses me. And he said, and it pays, I think it paid $500. And there were two shoot days. And I was the older sister. And my younger sister has an epileptic seizure in the grocery store. And I explained to people what not to do. Don't try and <laughs> stick your finger in her mouth and hold her tongue or keep her from biting, blah, blah, blah. So it was educational and informational, but it was drama. And I said to David, you know, my mother had epilepsy. Oh, my God. Yeah, my mother had severe epilepsy, and she would throw grand mal seizures when I was a little girl. And I was, we were often alone, just the two of us. And um, first time I ever saw her throw a grand mal seizure, believe me, that will impact you the rest of your life. And I didn't know what to do. And as a, I was, oh, gosh, again, seven, maybe seven or eight years old, first time I saw it happen. And she threw herself on the, first she said, there's a face at the window. Who's looking in the window? Someone's looking in the window. And I said, Mommy, there's nobody there. Yes, there's, there's a face. There's a face at the window. Oh. And she fell on the floor, and she started convulsing. She started foaming at the mouth. Her eyes rolled back, and her whole body was convulsing. And I didn't know what to do, so I got a pillow, and I put a pillow under her head. And she was wearing, like, a zip-up robe. And I unzipped the robe a little so it wouldn't be around her neck. And, and I just sat there with her and kind of held her hand. And it passed, which is what seizures do. They pass. And she was okay. Ooh. And she had no memory of it. Ooh. And it, you know, it, it stopped. So the next time it happened, which was months later, it didn't happen very often, months later, my uncle is visiting her brother, and it happens. And he says, oh, I've got to keep her from biting her tongue, you know. And I went, no, 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 Uncle Bob, no. Just put a pillow under her head and make her comfortable. It'll go away. And he went, what? And I went, it, I've seen it. It's okay. Put a pillow under her head and make her comfortable. That's what he did, and, and it passes, right? And the big thing you do is just make them comfortable, and they can't injure themselves. They can't swing an arm and break their wrist or something. Just make them comfortable and that they're safe and let them get through it because that's basically all you really can do. Um, so the irony of choosing you was for this film perfect. amazing. <laughs> it was amazing, and uh, it was a great film, and the council and Epsley loved it, and they showed that film. I don't know how many years, 10, 15 years. Did you get royalties? No, no, no I, did, I got my $500, <laughs> that was it. Right. But I made the acquaintance of this marvelous person, David Smoot, and he said, you know, I'm putting together a television show, a medical television show, and it's going to be for Blake Hospital called Blake Health Magazine. And he said, I'm, I already have cast my main host of the show, and she's fabulous, Catherine, and she was a professional actress from Tampa, and she was fabulous. He said, but I need a medical news reporter that will do all my medical news stories. Wow. And I went, I'd love to do that. Well, and you're perfect for it. Right. So <laughs> he said, I have to tell you, I'm having an open audition because I have to look at everyone, but please come and audition for me. So I said, great. So I went down, and he had a little studio. Um, I think it was in Northgate at the time. I went down, and... Um, dressed all nicely like a reporter, like I assumed a reporter would, a nice little suit jacket, little suit skirt, did my hair and makeup. And uh, sure enough, he picks me to be the medical news reporter. And Catherine from Tampa was our host, and I was her backup. If any time she couldn't get there, or she couldn't make it from Tampa or got stuck in traffic, he would just plug me in and I would host that day because we had guests coming in, we had yeah. doctors coming in, and we had radiologists coming in and all these people. So once or twice, I think we did... I want to say we did 13 episodes, 
maybe more, maybe 26. So we did all these episodes, and out of all of them, I think I might have sat in as her host substitute four times, Mm -hmm. four or five times, because she was awesome, very, very professional. And then when that was done and that contract was over, Blake Health... Big Hospital took their episodes of Blake Health Magazine, and I think they ran them for years, and it was great. (laughs) And David said to me, well, you know what? I've got another project in development, and it's an arts and entertainment project, and it's going to be all about people in the arts and entertainment, and it'll be an interview show, but also be a performance show. We'll have a live band, and how would you like to host that? And I went, I would love to host that. (laughs) So again, uh, that's how I kind of shifted from doing kind of serious things, medical things and commercials and things like that. That's where I made the shift into entertainment. Well, that is when you came back home. Came back home (laughs) to entertainment, right? Came back to let's have fun with you. And it was fun. We did, uh, I think we did half a dozen episodes and then uh, basically the project ran out of money. But the it was called Saturday Night Sarasota <laughs> and it was great fun and I worked with the most wonderful people you know who Carolyn Michael is of the course. actress here in mm-hmm. town she was a co-host with me mm-hmm. we had so much fun and uh, Terry Hendry who was a news reporter for ABC 7 I think at the time she came on as a host there were like four or five of us and we would rotate the hosts in and out and a couple of guys Larry Golden who is now he's performed everywhere. He's a wonderful actor. He does a lot with Venice Theatre now. Mm -hmm. And we ended up not only hosting that, but we ended up going into live murder mystery dinner theatre. So one night a week we were doing tapings of Saturday Night Sarasota and the other nights of the week this wonderful live murder mystery dinner theater was taking place in restaurants all around the area <laughs> back in the world of performing basically i was still working for lawyers during the day and then i was taping tv shows oh my god and i was doing live dinner murder mystery th- so basically i had three jobs yeah but they all paid so right. that was all good and my husband was very patient he's a wonderful human being he was so patient and uh, we had two little kids by then you know a toddler i think kill was 18 months two, maybe two and casey was six and uh Dan was just wonderful. He always understood that, and all actors and performers will understand this too, it is like a fever in your blood, and you are never cured. (laughs) Never. It's a lifelong condition. And you may tamp it down for a while Mm -hmm. and get it under control or set it to the side or push it in the closet and forget about it or put it under the bed and let it get dust bunnies, but it's always there, and it always comes back at some point. So I'm doing all of these things in film and television, and for, through a series of events, my husband had a small company. Sarasota kind of went into a recession. Uh, there, was a, there was a recession looming, and there were building moratoriums being talked about, and everything was really grinding to a slowdown. And our children were tiny, and we said, how are we going to do this? How are we going to continue to not only save enough money for their college educations, but where will they go here? If they put in a building moratorium and they stopped this and they stopped that and they didn't want to build a skate park for the kids and they didn't and they were voting down all the things for children in the schools and they were going out and voting down school improvements and I said this is just not where our children we love Sarasota we yeah, love right. it so much but what is their future here yeah. so this was nine in the 90s early 90s and uh, we had to look elsewhere and friends of ours who were in construction, the building moratorium impacted them greatly, they moved to Las Vegas of all places. And we're in correspondence with them, we're talking, and Bill and Tracy said to us over the phone in a conversation, you have got to come out here. 
the economy is booming. Yeah. It's just booming. And people with skills like you've got, Dan's an electronics technician. I'm a, I have a everything. paralegal. At this You're point, everything. Yeah, I have a paralegal <laughs> background. I'm a, I'm a creative writer. I'm an actor. I'm a blah, 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 blah. And I had sold a screenplay by then. So I had all these diverse layers of my creative side. And I, we went out to visit them. And while we were visiting on vacation for a few days, we both got job offers. <laughs> Just for fun, we looked around a little. And I had a job offer from a film and television and video production facility that was wonderful. And they were doing wonderful work. And they just made me a, made me an offer and said, how quickly could you get here? And I said, I, I don't know. I have to talk to my husband. Well, in the meantime, he's talking to an electronics company, a couple of them. He got two job offers. <laughs> And one was a very nice storefront repair, electronic repair with good repair shop and so forth. And they wanted to come in as a service manager. So I remember it so well. It was Wednesday night. We were flying back Thursday. We were going on the red eye. And Wednesday night, Dan sat up all night anguishing over whether we should make a move. And he, he just, you know, he just anguished over it and I said you don't have to make a decision this second let's go home and talk to the kids and you know let's feel everybody out so we go home we arrive at like six o'clock in the morning on the red eye from Tampa we're cleaning ourselves up in the bathroom of the plane because we both have to go to work our babysitter is with the kids so that's fine and grandma's next door so they're all good without us and we both go to work now we're we're jet lagged yes we're stressed out right we're exhausted from Vegas because everything is 24 7 nothing ever yeah. slows right. down Imagine the frame of mind. I get to work. I'm working for lawyers during the day. He gets to his business, and he's fighting with people who don't want to pay their bills and people who want everything for free. And, you know, he's, he's looking at the accounts receivable, and people are slow. It's because of the economy. He calls me up at 11 o'clock in the morning. So he's only been at work like three hours. We've both been at work three hours. He calls me up. I answer the phone, and this is what he says before he says anything else. Pack the car. <laughs> And I went, okay. <laughs> and he said, give your notice right now. Wow. Give your notice right now. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I can't fight this anymore. It's, it's not good for the kids. <laughs> so we go home, and our kids are pretty young, and we talk to them about how would you feel about moving out to Las Vegas. And they were like, what's out there? <laughs> and we said, well, the desert and the mountains and... and Next to us, a couple hours away, is California, where Uncle Jamie and Aunt Barb live, and uh, you know, there's this and there's that, and there's there's shows and there's entertainment, and there's horseback riding in in the mountains, and and there's hiking and biking, and and there's snow skiing. Well, my oldest boy was really starting to have an interest in like snowboarding. He was watching it on TV. Okay, let's move. Let's go. <laughs> Can we go now? Right now? Right? Little kids, right? And I went, uh, okay, and we talked to our in-laws about it, his parents, and uh, we decided we would go out for six months. Yeah. So we put the house up for rent. This lovely couple comes along. They're building a house that's going to take six months. So they said, we'll rent your house, right. and when ours is ready, you know. So we give them a six-month lease. They're lovely. They're clean as a whistle. They're just really going to take good care of our house. Off we go. Uh, we garage sale everything we don't need, and we load up uh, a U-Haul with everything we want to keep. And... Keel, my youngest, and I, we fly out, and Dan and Casey, my oldest, they drive out. They drive the U-Haul, and Keel and I fly ahead. We get an apartment. We furnish the apartment. And uh, five days later, they arrive, and we home is ready. We have a little two-bedroom, two-bath apartment. It's all decorated and furnished. We move in. The kids 
enroll in school. And three months into it, we said, this is pretty fantastic. And the kids are happy and we're happy. Well, when I left Florida, uh -huh. too, mm -hmm. I resolved I was not going to work for lawyers again, if at all humanly possible. No <laughs> offense to lawyers, but I wanted to work in the creative field. And I had done film and television production, and I had been a writer for television and a producer, and I had done teleprompter and a lot of other things. And that was where my heart really, really yeah. resided. So when we got out to Vegas, I had put out some resumes, and I got a terrific job offer to go to work for what I thought was the best production company that they had at the time. And I was proved right, it really was. They had a beautiful facility and edit bays and uh, brand new everything and all the state-of-the-art tools. That was the good news. Bad news was they asked me if, if I would consider starting at this ridiculously low rate, which was about half what I was making working for lawyers, because they didn't know me. Mm -hmm. And a resume is one thing, but the proof is in the performance. God, yes. So I said, you know, I talked to my husband, and he said, you're not working for that. That's insulting. <laughs> and I said, I really like what they have to offer. Let me give it a try. So my first day on the job, it's a Monday. They bring in a client. The client has a commercial that they want created for these guard dogs that they train. I'm brand new to the area. I've just moved to Las Vegas days ago. Mm -hmm. And they said, could you put this together quickly? Well, the company prided themselves on doing like a 24-hour turnaround. Client comes in, gives you the information, and by the next day you're out shooting it, and that night you're editing it, and boom, 24 hours later they've got a spot. So I very confidently said, oh, absolutely, yeah, sure, I could do it. They leave. I've, I had written the script. I had shown them a little storyboard that I sketched out. They liked it. They okayed it. Off they went. And it's, now it's 10 o'clock in the morning. So I pick up the phone and I call the, I only knew two couples in Las Vegas, and they were good friends who had moved ironically, from Sarasota to Las Vegas. So I called the first one and said, hey, uh, would you like to be in a TV commercial? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't know any of the local actors or any no, of that? I don't know anybody. <laughs> so they're a very good-looking couple. He's a tall, Nordic, blonde man, and she's this petite brunette, and they're just beautiful. They look like models. Mm -hmm. uh, she was in construction. He was in real estate, but they had the look, right? And they have this uh, darling little girl who's just adorable. And I said, you have a beautiful home, right? They said, yeah. Mm -hmm. I said, can we use your home as a location? <laughs> and they went, oh, okay. So by 11.45 that morning, I'm at their house with a film crew. We, I, I give them their lines. They're very few. They're very minimal. The client shows up with his guard dog, which is this big black Rottweiler that's been trained to attack and so forth. And the first demo they do, which I think everybody in the world does now, but this was 1992, was they lock their sliding glass door, and this burglar-type person with a ski mask tries to pull the door open. The dog comes flying out of nowhere, grabs him by the arm, takes him to the ground. Whoa. Whoa. So then cut to the happy family sitting on the sofa <laughs> with their little girl, and they have the dog sitting next to them, wagging his little family. And it was just a darling, very, very successful commercial. It was exactly what they wanted. We shot all the footage. Everybody did a great job. Client was happy. The the handler of the dog wasn't permanently wounded, uh, <laughs> although he, he did say his arm hurt where the dog had clamped yeah, on his arm. Right. I didn't think too much about it because it was his dog. And I go back to the production facility. By now it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon or so. Uh, I sit down. I look at the footage. I time code it. I go into the edit bay. They give me a slot. I get it all edited, and by... 5.30 in the afternoon, the spot is done. done. <laughs> great looking people, great looking house, great looking dog. I mean, right. the whole thing was just fantastic, well edited. And Barry, who was my uh, boss, he was the head of sales, 
he calls the client up and he says, I know we weren't going to show this to you till tomorrow, but it's done. Mm -hmm. If you want to come look at it, mm -hmm. we could have it on the air tomorrow instead. Client jumps in the car. I'll <laughs> think, well, I'm waiting because it's my first day on the job. Yeah, yeah. So client loves it. Sure enough, the next day it goes on the air. The next day they call me in the office. They give me a $50 a week raise. <laughs> and I went, I like this job a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still not making enough, but that was on Tuesday. So on Tuesday, another client comes in. Oh, dear. Another client comes in, and it's the same sort of thing, only this furniture store. And I said, well, what do you think about this idea or this idea or this idea? Well, he liked item idea two, which was kind of fun, and it was sort of kitschy, and he was sort of kitschy. And I said, okay, how about today? Should we bring the crew out and we'll shoot it today? Why, sure. All I have to say is, I am happy, Harry. I make everybody happy. Right? So off we, <laughs> off we go to his furniture store with the crew. Uh, he's got this terrible toupee. I mean, it looked like a, a dead black poodle on his head. Ooh. It was really a terrible toupee, but he liked it. So he gets, stands in the middle of his warehouse. I'm happy, Harry. I make everybody happy. <laughs> he loved it. We took it back. Oh, got it all edited. <laughs> and by 5 o'clock in the afternoon, my second commercial was done. Oh, my God. And on it went on the air on Wednesday. They Jeez. called me back in on Wednesday <laughs> after it was approved and on the air. And they gave me a $50 a week raise. <laughs> so I'm thinking, well, this is working out well. So this went on for a few more days, a few more raises. And by the following Monday, mm -hmm. by five work days later, I was making what I was making when I worked for Lloyd. So it took me basically five working days to almost double my salary from a new job. And my husband was very pleased. And I stayed with them about five years. And mm -hmm. we made amazing content. They went from specializing in these little cheese ball, super cheap commercials, which were fine. Mm -hmm. They have a market. But they went from specializing in that to doing full television programs, half-hour shows, one-hour shows, infomercials, long-format commercials, sports shows. We did a medical interview show in a five-year period. And in five years, I had 300 of my own clients for them. It's about 60 a year. Uh, creating about five spots a month. Mm -hmm. So I continued. Holy cow. Continued that is a lot. It is a lot. It is a lot. So, you know, you make five spots a month for 12 months. You get 60 in the bag. And at the end of five years, you've got 300 original projects that you've done. Anyway, it was a fabulous job. But after five years, I, I had you know, two small children. My husband was working at third hours. So I felt that working in the production company, as much fun as it was, and as much money as I was making, some of the days were 12 to 16 hours long. Wow. You would go out and you would shoot at dawn. We went out on a uh, paddle boat out on Lake Mead one time. We were shooting wedding videos, and the couple wanted to be married on the boat at sunrise. So we were out there at probably 4.30 in the morning waiting for sunrise on the boat. And then if you do like we did, which is get it all done, get it all reviewed, choose all your edit decisions, go into the edit bay, you're finishing it at, you know, anywhere from 5 in the afternoon to 11 o'clock at night. Whoa. So there were a lot of days that were 12 hours. Some of them were 16 hours. Sometimes it was weekends, holidays. And with Dan working those kind of wacko hours, right. I said, you know, there has to be a way to use my skills and to stay in film and television without shortchanging my family right. and myself right. Right. of their time watching them grow up. Um, and it had been a hard five years, but we won a lot of awards, and I was really grateful very, very grateful for all the experience that I got. Yeah, and my God, how it looked on your resume. Yes, it was great. Right, I mean, right, right. And uh, ironically, I gave up the job. I, I had kind of a run-in with the boss one day about something unreasonable he wanted me to do that went against what I had agreed to do when they hired me. There were things that I 
just said initially that I don't work on. I don't work on sexually oriented material. I don't work on anything that would be considered X-rated or related to that kind of industry. And I don't do the occult. That's all. I, you know, I'll sell pooper scoopers and I'll, 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 I'll sell right. doggy doors and I, whatever right. it happens to be. But there's, you know, the two things I don't work on. Where I got into it with the boss one day about some 800, hi, I'm Bambi, you know, <laughs> call me for a good time kind of thing. And I said, no, I don't work on those. You'll have to get Stuart to do it. Well, he can't. You'll have to do it. And I said, no, I won't have to do it. <laughs> we agreed early on that I don't do that. So one thing led to another, and I said, you know, thank you so much. I've enjoyed the experience. It's been wonderful working here, but I'm going to give two weeks' notice. And then they panicked and said, no, 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 don't go, don't go, don't go. What, how can we fix this? And I said, really, you can't. It's all right. I understand. And I, no hard feelings. I wish you well. I wish me well. I, ha I don't have somewhere else to go, but I'll work it out. Mm -hmm. And I stuck to my guns and gave them my notice. And sure enough, I left. And in the two weeks' notice I gave them, oh, the offer We'll, no, us, we'll, we'll pay you more. We'll yeah. give you a company car. Right. Well, we'll pay for your health insurance and that for your de you know, for your dependents. And how about if we give you an assistant? How about if we give you an office with a door? Oh, my goodness. Instead of putting you in the bullpen. And I kept saying, no, 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 thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so finally, uh, I don't know what the last offer was, but it was quite a bit. And I said, think of this as a amicable divorce. <laughs> we are getting divorced. <laughs> we can do it friendly yeah, or right. we can do it unfriendly. Right. And if we do it friendly, I'll, I'll be glad to help you part-time, write scripts, do things as a freelance. So we parted company. And I started writing at home. And within two weeks, I had 12 clients of my own that I was helping from my house. I was making $2,000 to $3,000 uh, a week from home. From home, right. working for my own clients. But right. then I had to take everything you know, yeah, to the studio, yeah, and right. I had to right. contract and pay to have it edited, whatever. Right. So I thought, this is fine. It's making me enough money, but it's a little nerve-wracking. And wouldn't you know, I get a phone call from the state of Nevada, where I had forgotten completely that some months before, in one of my... my little peaks of, of, I can't do this anymore, uh, for 16 hours a day, I had gone over to the state and I just filled out a job application about, you know, um, marketing and promotions and press and publicity and TV commercials and things that the state may or may not need mm -hmm. in their public relations and communications department. And I forgot all about it. So that I get a call and I'm at this point, I don't know, four or six weeks into being a freelance working from home. And they asked me to come in for an interview and they wanted me to be the... Um, public information officer, PIO, for one of the departments of the state. And I said, well, that's kind of interesting. Will it include audio, video, commercials, radio, things like that? And they said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Whatever you want to do with the position, you can do with the position. <laughs> wow. So I went, well, all righty, let's, let's talk business. So I get hired, and I'm very happy because with state government comes benefits, comes oh, yeah, right. job security once you pass your probationary period. So the first 90 days I'm there in probation, I discover I've inherited this little office, and what they do is press releases, which is great, and then they manage the state highway adoption program, where companies adopt a section <laughs> yes, of highway, I right? Know, I know. And those are about the only two real duties they've got, which is you do press releases, and you take care of adopt a highway. So I said, well, this is going to be really boring, and I spoke to the superintendent for the district, and I said, when I was interviewed, we talked about film and television, video, radio, the things that I know. And how do you feel about that? And he said, oh, whatever you want to do. Well, you do it. Sure, whatever you think. What, what, do you, what, what do you think you want to do? And I said, well, how about a nice public relations TV show where I bring 
the leaders of Nevada DOT in, and we interviewed them about what they're doing to the highways because everybody was furious. People were calling and cursing, and this highway's torn up, and that highway's torn up, and I can't get where I'm going, and there's road construction wow. everywhere, and what the heck are they doing? So uh, he said, sure, that sounds good. Mm, give me some proposal, put it together, and see what it would cost, and we'll do all right. So I talked to a little local TV station. They said we could put it on the air uh, once a week on a Wednesday night at five o'clock and uh, you could do it live with a call-in audience so that's what we did so I went down to the sign department because Nevada DOT creates their own road signage right all mm -hmm. kinds of road signs and I said could you do a set for me in this little TV studio that has all the road signs like a collage oh what a great idea or a montage on the wall so not only do they do the two walls of the L-shaped set but they do the entire floor that's great. And we put in two chairs and a desk and we started the dot update <laughs> And we would have two VIPs from the Department of Transportation come and talk. And this, these two came and they talked about the Spaghetti Bowl, which was right in the center of Las Vegas. And it was this giant interchange where it, oh, it was oh, like oh, a I bowl see. of spaghetti. I got it, right. And then they came and they talked about what they were doing at Hoover Dam. And then another show was they were talking about what they were doing on I-15 North. And <laughs> very dry topics, but we had things to show. We were showing video and they were showing... Well, and this is of interest to the population, yeah. so yeah, right. So suddenly people are calling in and right. they're asking, well, what about this and what about that and how about sound walls uh, on US 93? And, mm -hmm. and it ended up with a really good following, a really good call-in audience, mm -hmm. and of course the fellows and ladies from the Nevada Department of Transportation, who had never been TV celebrities, <laughs> suddenly are seen. So it was, yeah. And then we started doing some radio work. I came up with um, doing a little radio and dot update where I would give people tips about, by the way, if you are coming down the intersection of Sahara at I-15, be on alert because blah, blah, blah. And people would start taking shortcuts and it was very helpful. And then I started talking to the schools and going out and doing presentations to the kids so they'd understand when they were old enough to drive. And then we... Um, did a, some road dedications, and then all these different road projects, as they were getting completed, I said to the head of DOT at that time, who was named Tom Stevens, we should do ribbon cuttings, and well, he thought that was great. Suddenly, every time there was an interchange or an overpass or an, that was being open to the public, we started doing ribbon cuttings. Oh, that's lovely. And the news media is showing up, and right. they're rolling tape, and they're interviewing Mr. Stevens, and he's telling them these heartfelt reasons why it's so much you know, better for our people. <laughs> And it went from, okay, your two jobs are send out a press release now and then and take care of Adopt a Highway. Right. It went from that to, oh, we have a TV show, we have a radio spot, oh, we're doing press releases, oh, we're doing ribbon cuttings, oh, you're giving stand-ups on the nightly news, oh, you're interviewing VIPs, <laughs> oh, we're, you know, and oh, now we're doing road dedications, and now we're dedicating the Las Vegas Boulevard as a historic wow. highway, mm -hmm. and really blossomed into yeah, something. Right. So I'm having a wonderful time, uh, but... As I'm doing this, one of my duties was to scan all the media and find out anything having to do with the state of Nevada. Scanning the local press just to stay on top of everything right. that affects the state of Nevada. And I see this little blurb and it says, the state of Nevada film office has hired a new director named Charles Geocaris from Chicago. I thought, oh, well, that's very interesting. I'll have to send him a little note of congratulations. So I email over to the DOT, from the DOT to his office. Congratulations, Mr. Geocaris. He emails me back, and what department are you in? I said, I'm in you know, communications, and I'm a PIO, and so forth. So it was very nice to meet him. Well, not a week or 10 days goes by, and I'm following the press, and his 
production manager for the state had given his notice. So I called Charlie <laughs> and I said, just FYI, my background is film and television and I've been a writer and a producer and I've had 300 of my own clients and I know how television works and indie films and I know how all that functions and I've worked with film commissions to get permits to shoot on public property. So I'm pretty familiar with what a film commission does. I'd be interested perhaps in moving over to your division from being a PIO if you'd be interested in seeing my resume. He says, could you fax it right now? <laughs> so I faxed it over. I went over that afternoon. He called me up and said, come interview. I went and interviewed. And he said, this is fantastic. Not only are you what I need, but you work for the state already. So we just do a lateral transfer into my department. Wow. And you're already hired. And you know we'll continue your pay rate at what it is, or we'll increase it to whatever is appropriate for this job. And I was with him for 10 years. So I, I start with the film commission. And Charlie basically says, what? what do you see your position developing into? What would you like it to be? Well, those are magic words to my ears mm -hmm. because I like to take whatever position I have and max it out yes. and go in every direction possible and right. try to innovate and create and do a lot of new and fun things mm -hmm. that are good for the company mm -hmm. and good for the public and good for me, right? So I said, well, I would really like to um, get to know what Eric was doing and see if I can expand upon that. So one thing Eric did was a film screenplay competition every year. People would send in screenplays for movies and he would get some judges together and somebody would win. And it turns out it was the oldest state-sponsored screenplay competition of its time. So I said, well, that's great. I'll pick the mantle of that up. And I discovered that there were boxes of screenplays <laughs> surrounding Eric's desk that he basically hadn't read and hadn't done any with and they're just piled up. So this is where I get to start. Right. And They've just been laying there since he left, so I have I have this new challenge. Right. And we not only turned it into a really successful screenplay competition, keeping up with the legacy of Eric, because he created it, but we expanded it. We started doing awards. We had the lieutenant governor come in, and she would present an award every year, and we would fly in the top three winners, wherever they were from. They would get certificates and little plaques, and then the number one winner, whoever it was, I would set up meetings and appointments for him or her or them, if they were a writing team, and send them into Los Angeles to meet with producers. So it, it grew, it grew, it turned into something great, and a few things got picked up and produced, and mm -hmm. it was you know very successful. So we started doing other things, and um, you know it blossomed from there. It was a great 10 years, but after about year seven, and the economy was starting to get soft, and we hadn't had a raise for three years working for the state. And I went to Charlie, and I asked about a raise. And anyway, he basically patted my hand and said, no, sorry, yeah. you know. Yeah. And if you have to look around, I'll understand. Ooh. So I went, okay, all yeah. right. And I went back to my desk, and I picked up the phone, and I called the Association of Film Commissioners International globally, mm -hmm. and uh, said, hey, who's looking for a film commissioner? Because I'm one of several here for the state of Nevada working under the director, and I'm thinking of moving. She calls me back 20 minutes later, and she goes, there's three places looking, North Carolina, South Carolina, and this lovely place. It's, you know, it's not a state job. It's a county job, but it's in this beautiful area. And I went, just cut to the chase. <laughs> you know, tell me where it's at, because I'm, I'm thinking podunk nowhere, yeah, 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 right. in the middle of nowhere with, you know, 18 feet of snow per year. And she goes, no, it's this beautiful little uh, county called Sarasota <laughs> in Florida. And I laughed and I said, Sue, I am from Sarasota, Florida. And she laughed and she said, well, isn't that kismet? So that day I send out my resumes to North Carolina, South Carolina, and Sarasota. And uh, I get, first the first call I got was South Carolina, lovely, lovely people. But their pay scale was, mm -hmm. I couldn't live 
I would take a $20,000 a year cut in pay. Right. So I said, well, thank you for considering me. I'm flattered, but I, I can't take a cut in pay. So I waited two more days, and North Carolina calls, and they said, oh, you're in our top five qualified candidates, so you'll be hearing from us. And I went, oh, that's great. When will I hear from you? And they said, oh, well, it'll turn around. We'll have this turned around and, and wrapped up in 180 days. That's six months. Yes, that's right. Uh, because their their phone commissioner was retiring. I said, oh, okay, well, I'm flattered to be in your top five. Thank mm -hmm. you, thank you. And right. I hung up. And then Sarasota called. And they said, uh, could we fly you in Monday? And I said, absolutely, yeah, that would be great. So they flew me in the following Monday. And in the morning, I met with nine people. And I'm quizzed by all nine people around a big conference table, and everybody's lovely, and and we're answering all these questions. It's great. And we take a, a break for lunch, and then when I come back, I'm interviewed in the afternoon by 12 people. There's 12 people at the table, mm -hmm. and they, I guess, are going to become a part of the Film Commission Advisory Council when the choice is made. So they're asking me all these questions, and it's all great, and I'm answering all these questions, and I'm very pleased to tell them that my, my father and stepmother live in town, and one of my sisters lives here, and I have family here, and I would love to come back here. And they went, come back here and I went yes do you all realize I am from Sarasota <laughs> and they said well how much of a learning curve would you need to come up to speed about Sarasota and I looked at my watch and said oh about 15 minutes <laughs> I said I, I, I I'm from here well they all laughed and they didn't realize I was from here and they thanked me very much and as I'm leaving Kathy Bayless who was the CEO at the time she said we'll make a decision by Friday there's three candidates and we had been passing each other in the hall all day, all three of us, right? Mm -hmm. Smiling, waving, never speaking. She said, we'll decide by Friday. So this was Tuesday afternoon. And uh, I went back to my dad's condo, and I'm packing all my stuff Tuesday afternoon. And the phone rings at 5 o'clock, and Kathy says, the decision's unanimous, we'd like to offer you the job. Yeah. So it was fabulous. I was just overjoyed, and we had a little conversation about the, you know, the nuts and the bolts and the salary and things like this, and it was all great. It was all going to work out, and I was so happy. So I <laughs> called my husband in, in uh, Las Vegas, and when I had left Las Vegas <laughs> to come to the interview, the last thing we talked about was I said, are you sure you want me to go for this interview? Because, you know, if, if I have a chance to get the job, I'm going to take it. And he said, oh, go, go, see your dad, you'll love it, you'll enjoy it. He said, they can't afford you. They, they'll never pay you what you're making in Nevada. It'll be fun for you. So I call him up and I said, guess what, they offered me the job. And he went, mm, really? And I said, yeah, really? And he said, what about the salary? Well, they met my salary. They did. Uh-huh, okay. And he says to me, and I quote, well, you got to take it. And I went, that's the right answer, honey. That's the right answer for our future. So he hangs up. So the next morning, I tell Kathy she's happy. I'm happy. Everybody's happy. Next morning, I'm in Atlanta changing planes. My husband calls me and says, you can't take the job. I've been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Oh, dear God. And I've got to stay here because I need my insurance. I've got to stay. I call Kathy from Atlanta, and I said, Kathy, I tell her the whole sad story. And I'm so sorry, but I'm going to have to decline the job. And she said, wait, let me call you back. She calls me back a few minutes later, and she says, okay, we will wait for him to get through chemo. You can stay out there and while he's in chemo. And what it's, what it's only going to take a few months, right? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, wait, we'll hold the job for you. So I can't believe how kind they are and wonderful. I get back to Nevada, and I'm talking to my husband about it. And I said, I want you to get a second opinion, and I want you to see a, a specific specialist who specializes in that. 
and let's, let's be sure. So he goes, he gets a second opinion. Turns out he does not have prostate cancer. He has a, a, a medical condition where he has an abscess that has attached the prostate to the bladder. So they said they're just going to do surgery and they're going to fix that and it's not cancer. So I called Kathy up and I said, um, well, he's still going to have surgery and it'll be a few weeks for him to recover. And she said, oh, that's great. We can hold it for a few weeks. No problem. <laughs> so then Dan says, well, you know, we're going to have to sell our house. You're going to have to live down there. I can't come until we sell our house, blah, blah, blah. We can't afford two homes. You can't take the job. Because now he's coming up with reasons about why I'm here. So I call Kathy and I tell her, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm oh, my so God. Sorry. And she was so kind. And the, the, the board of directors, the people that were, you know, she was talking to about it, they were so kind. It was just a kismet thing. You know, I was really meant to have this job. So Kathy said, let me call you back. <laughs> she, she calls me back a few minutes later, and she says, okay, Ringling College is going to let us use one of their unoccupied teacher's houses, because they had these little houses down this one street, and you can live there free of charge for six months. <laughs> and if at the end of six months they haven't sold, you haven't sold your house, we'll, we'll, we'll address it We'll figure something out. So I tell Dan, and he goes, there's no way I'm going to prevent you from taking this job, <laughs> is there? And I went, apparently not. <laughs> And we all laughed about it. And so I came here, and I started February 19th. So from the time they interviewed me until the time I came was about a month. And, and when was that? That was 1997, February 19th, 1997. Oh so I've been here um, 20, it'll be 12, well, 12 it was 12 years. years. It was 12 years this February. So I'm working on my 13th. My lucky 13 is coming up in February. My God. Yeah. And he finally, it took him eight months to sell the house. But it all worked out great, and we bought a house. I bought a house and closed on it here 10 days before he closed on the one in Nevada. I flew home. We loaded up moving vans. We drove them across country and been here happy ever since. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. You know, I have one last question. Okay. Am I still doing all these things and juggling all these things? Yes. Well, <laughs> it, 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 there's no way, actually, to put a label to you. But... If pressed, <laughs> I'm going to say that, that you have spent your life creating things in many different venues and many different areas with many different skill sets, but the bottom line really does seem to be your ability to make something from nothing. And so the question is, would you just think for a moment of what it means to spend a life doing that? What you would say about that? What, what it means to you? Well, I got a card from on my birthday this year, just a couple months ago. My, my oldest son and his wife and our grandson came down, spent my birthday with us. And it was fun, and we had a great time, and we took the littlest guy. Uh, we went up to Bush Gardens and went to Sesame, the, the Sesame Street stuff they do up there. It was a wonderful time. And it was all very lighthearted. And my kids, for my birthday, they gave me presents and a cake and candles and a card. And the card somehow got buried. And I found it yesterday, and it was sealed inside the bottom of a gift bag. So I took this card out, and I opened it up, and it said, you know, Mom, we love you so, and we love that you are the joyful, caring, fun, creative person you are. Wow. And they said some other sweet, mushy things on there that I'm not going to mention because they'll make me cry. But that kind of summed it up. I'm a joyful, 
caring, creative, fun person. But I like to do it for other people. Yes. I like to entertain yes, people. Right. I like to make people smile and be happy. I like people to laugh. I like people to get what they need. I'm gratified by serving others. I'm gratified by this job because I can help other people. And I love to be an entertainer. I mean, I love that too. But but it's in service. Right. And I'll tell you a secret, another secret, besides it being a fever in the blood about being a performer. The reason we are performers, most of us, I, I won't say all, but most of us, it's because we are so we are so enriched by the love that comes back to us, the approval that comes back to us, the audience applauding. Uh, it's a form of love, and it makes you feel you're worthwhile. Sometimes actors, performers have low self-esteem, and that helps them go through life to say, hey, I'm okay, I'm okay, I made them happy, I made them laugh, I made them cry, I made them feel. go, yes, I evoked emotion from them. But you're also, you're giving yourself to them, and you leave yourself very vulnerable, you're very naked to the audience. And if they don't like you, and they don't clap, and they fall asleep in the audience, or when you're three years old, they laugh at you. <laughs> it hurts you. Mm -hmm. So you can be, uh, performers and, and actors in particular, I think, they can be very vulnerable people, and they can be easily wounded. And in government, corny as it may sound, what a wonderful place to find a way to be of service. And through this genre of government, being in film and television and entertainment, I'm still in my world. Yes. I'm still helping my people. Yes. But I'm helping. Yes. And, you know, I love doing that. And I, I've had people say, golly, you know, we've never had a film commission, and there are hundreds of film commissions around the world, we've never had a film commission help us this much. And Kimmy, who is our production coordinator, um, and Tina before Kimmy, uh, it's always just been two of us. We have to have a like mind that we are there to serve. We're there to take care of their problems and help iron out their difficulties. We're a service facilitating organization to help put the pieces together of what you need. Oh, you need a crew? You need actors? Oh, you need a permit to get on the streets? Oh, you need to uh, uncover a manhole cover? Uh, you need to put cameras on the don't walk on the grass section? <laughs> we can help with that. We can fix that. And we can also fix things on a small scale thanks to our county. We have a small cash rebate program, so we can give some money back. Mm -hmm. That helps small projects mm -hmm. in particular. Uh, we can help intercede in government and solve problems and, and liaise between people who might otherwise be in conflict. So it's all, it's all about service. And all actors and performers will understand this too. It is like a fever in your blood and you are never cured. <laughs> never. It's a lifelong condition. And you may tamp it down for a while mm -hmm. and get it under control or set it to the side or push it in the closet and forget about it or put it under the bed and let it get dust bunnies, but it's always there and it yeah. always comes back at some point. And that is a perfect place to stop. Great. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you so much, Jeannie. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate it.